Welcome everyone to your Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast by Fantastic Geek, the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. Hello, Matt. Hello, everyone. Here today to talk to you about the whole of Season 7 of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Indeed, we have that in store. Also going to talk kind of a, a brief look back to the history of Marvel television. Pete, it is worth keeping in mind, of course. Yes, Hellstrom is coming out, but it was completed not under the Marvel television era, but under the Marvel Studios running all the TV stuff era. So I think fitting here as we look at the end of Season 7, or rather look at the whole of Season 7, we can also look at the whole of Marvel television as well. Though, Pete, bringing it back squarely here to our Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., what were some of the highlights for you for the season? I really enjoyed how this season approached the time traveling and how different from one another the first half a dozen episodes were. I mean, my absolute highlight of the season was the third episode, Alien Commies from the Future, the the Red Scare, the Alien uh, motif all mashed together there. Really, really fun, and I think fulfilled the most of what this season could be. Shades of Quantum Leap, shades of most time travel stories where you can kind of delve into A, fish out of water, B, costumes and lingo and and you know, kind of a surface view of the time period that you're visiting, but you don't need to completely heavily invest in it. You know, you think of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in the 30s versus, say, you know, Boardwalk Empire, where they're going to have to, you know, uh, research labels on whiskey bottles so it's all authentic, and S.H.I.E.L.D. could be a bit more fun. And I think that that was, that was the most fun part of the season, just in terms of, you know, again, kind of costumes and lingo and and fish out of water and things like that. It there was just an effervescence to those to those time travel uh, adventures that our agents had. The seventh episode as well, the totally excellent adventures of Mac and the D set in the 80s. Really, really fun. Uh, the way they play around with the conventions of the time, the the rise of MTV style music and uh, what Deke is able to do also surprisingly heartfelt. Yeah. And I think that it reveals you're hitting on something that the time travel episodes revealed. Yes, there was high stakes in terms of uh, on the hunt with the Chronicoms, you know, whether the Chronicoms are after them or they're after the Chronicoms uh, battle for the future lives at stake, all of that. But all of that kind of took a bit of a backseat to the time travel adventure, and that let the characters, the, it made it for more of a character exploration uh, versus a kind of plot-driven exploration, which again might sound like something that's boring or might sound kind of counterintuitive, like of course they need to be going through the conflict towards a resolution and, and things like that, but you take an episode like uh, Mac and the D, where you know, it's about kind of, it's about those two characters and the great supporting characters reverberating off of each other more than, you know, oh no, is this where we say our final goodbye? Or, oh no, uh, this is where we can move things forward in terms of romance or lack thereof. It just let the characters be the characters. 
the ninth episode, as I have always been notable for the most part for the loss of Enoch, but at the same time giving Elizabeth Hensridge her directorial debut, so she gets her DGA card there, I think has a uh, special place as well. Yeah, that may have been my favorite episode of the season, though it doesn't have it doesn't have those costumey uh, type things of time travel. I think the way it was written, the way it was directed, where it had these you know these these mini loops to them, and these you know where you're seeing uh, May coming down the ladder three different ways, and kind of lines delivered in an alternate fashion, and things of that sort. The unfolding mystery there. We've seen a number of S.H.I.E.L.D. episodes, particularly in the last three seasons, where it's, you know, trapped in a blank, trapped in the bus, trapped in the Zephyr One, trapped in, you know, somewhere, trapped in the the halls of the lighthouse, things of that sort. And this really played into it. And what you lost in, uh, you know, tons of exterior special effects and things of that sort, you got in this really taut story where... That's ah, a throwaway line that you're 72 minutes away from the event horizon. Then all of a sudden, well, wait, now it's 68. And then you, the audience, realize that you're on a countdown. Pete, where are some areas in Season 7 that you would have liked to see improvements? I think the lack of a really scary, charismatic villain is very apparent. Um, when you look back at previous seasons... Even Izel, Matt, uh, had something going on. And I just think that Nathaniel Malik doesn't get it done. We never, ever feared him. All right. He takes Daisy's powers. He takes Cora's powers. They have a throwdown. He essentially dies off camera. Yes, there's an explosion, but... They go out into space. Okay. Um, I, I just think that was the weakest overall part of the season. I've mentioned in prior podcasts that I appreciate the job that the actor did because I think everything that we don't like about Nathaniel Malick, his smarminess, his ego, things of that sort, that's, that's the character. That's not, you know, oh, I wouldn't want to be around this guy as an actor. Uh, that said, I mean... I'm with you, Pete. There is a certain lack of charisma. Also, I don't know. And maybe this is viewing maybe this is viewing this season, these final episodes through 2020 eyes. I don't know. But Nathaniel as the successor to kind of the Malik Hydra, kind of vaguely, you know, white supremacist, vaguely superior uh lens, but then Malik now is kind of sort of the opposite of that you know he's going for anarchy he's going for supposedly a certain kind of self self-representation but then right towards the end it's actually wink wink so we can run the earth it's a lot less clear-cut than frankly than a bunch of the other baddies whose plan was i just want to take over and i want to be in charge ha. You know, it's a little it's a little tough to hate Malik when he's saying, everybody just be free, man. Be your own boss. And yeah, he's saying that we're trying to take out, you know, the bosses that we like, director Mac and, you know, Colson and so on and so forth. But there's kind of a muddiness there where there wasn't, say, with Madam Hydra, who wants to be Hydra all the time. I mean, 
isn't that always the hypocrisy of power though that oh we're we're gonna do what no one else can give us yet it's really the same thing i just feel like we were sold this bill of goods that season seven was the chronicoms versus the agents of shield and while that was a conflict that wasn't the conflict and i get what they did you know they're robots uh they were co-opted by malik and vice versa but i just felt like they would have been stronger on their own and yeah you you bring back hydra but wasn't really in that he didn't want to be hydra it was its own thing i just think i would have made better decisions um but that's what they went with and and it was all it was all fine i'm reminded as to why in the Star Trek The Next Generation era, uh, albeit in the movie era, why they added a Borg queen, which is to take the dispassionate, you know, uh, focus-driven bad guy robots, the Borg, and to give them a charismatic face that you can root against. Um, did we did we get that with the Chronicoms? Did we get that with Sybil? I mean, not really, because she continued to be dispassionate as the Chronicoms are, so... I think that we're both talking about the Chronicoms being this great vessel of villainy, but where could we land in it to kind of say, and that is the face of evil. It didn't quite fully give us one for the season. Now, first half of the season, that mattered less because the adventure was in the adventure. The adventure was in time hopping, in the search, and things of that sort. I'm still a little confused why... Why there was the decision to go from really kind of luxuriating in the period music, the period costumes, the period sets, to then land back in the lighthouse in the 1980s, but kind of mumbled in a way where, you know, look, I'm going to wear jeans and a black uh, zip-up coat. Well, that could be the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, and so forth. Uh, it, it almost It almost gives the sense that it was like money started to run short which I find confusing since this season was announced so far out and, and all that. I don't know. I, Pete, I guess I'm, I'm speaking as to a certain level of frustration, even though ultimately it's, it's a season that gets a thumbs up versus a thumbs down from me. I mean, anything following that sixth season would have been seen as a positive. This is largely the victory lap that we all expected. And again, in terms of, some decisions and some emphasis towards some characters relationships and not others uh, none of us saw um enver jokai uh you know being around as as much as he was um really a surprise there getting as much joel stoffer as we did was always welcome could we have found a way to get peggy carter in there I think you could have at the same time, the movies pretty much said, no, she belongs to us. Um, for a final outing, I have a hard time thinking anybody couldn't be pleased with this. Pete, let's transition now to some recent news from the, the waning days of uh, Marvel television. Uh, about a month ago, the uh, allegation was level, leveled from actor Peter Shinkoda. Uh, that is, of course, Nobu from Daredevil. 
uh, who had said that uh, that uh, anti-Asian comments had been made by uh, former head of Marvel Television, Jeff Loeb. Uh, certainly in the video, which was a hashtag save Daredevil con online thing, um, you know, some, some pretty serious allegations in terms of Jeff Loeb not appreciating Asian characters and, you know, uh, according to Shinkoda, quote, nobody gives an S, so don't write about Nobu and Madame Gao. Uh, it was also mentioned that Shinkoda and Madame Gao actress Wai Chin Ho uh, had not been invited to the season two premiere of Daredevil and things like that. This story kind of started at kind of the lower level websites, you know, kind of like your comicbook.com and whatnot, did make its way into, uh, you know, Deadline and USA Today reporting on it. But in the last month, it, the, the story has kind of gone away. I don't know if that indicates uh, complete passivity from Disney slash Marvel slash Netflix, if that indicates that they looked into it and there was nothing there. Uh, but certainly it appears that the story has died. You saw it picked up by a couple other publications. And then, like you're saying, it, it seems to have just uh, pretty much vanished. Um, I think, and in light, too, of the photo that they chose to, in many of the stories, include of him dressed up at a con, uh, essentially as an Asian stereotype that didn't play well. The two are unrelated, but they're related in this matter. Um, I think it's not as big a story because he's not there at Marvel TV anymore. Hellstrom is not going to carry that banner. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, what was said is inappropriate, clearly. Um, I, I think that he's paid a form of price, whether or not the two were connected. There's There's been no confirmation on that matter. I kind of doubt that they were. Uh, just the way that the TV production end wound up working out. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's unflattering. Uh, even more so in these times, but that's the way that it is right now. Yeah, to my knowledge, there was no response from Loeb personally, from you know Disney, Marvel, Netflix, etc. Uh, and I certainly don't want to downplay Shinkoda's claims, particularly since uh, on our podcasts, as well as in the world in general, you know, it's been noted you know, kind of calling out inappropriate behavior, whether it's uh, comments or, or, or other things, uh, physical, et cetera. Not that that's part of the Jeff Loeb thing, but, you know, to, com to call out inappropriate behavior, it, it's always the right time to do so. It just, uh, I think it's worth pointing out that Shinkoda was quoting what he had heard writer's room people say. This was not Shinkoda saying Jeff Loeb was in an elevator and he turned to me and pointed his finger and said, Blah, blah, blah. And I think, too, as you're saying, Pete, you know, Jeff Loeb has already been been banished in terms of Marvel television is gone. Um, my completely unofficial read is that he is still under contract because they don't want him to bounce somewhere else, but he has nothing to do. So it's like, good job. You get a paycheck. But as a creative force, you got nowhere to go, buddy. Um, so again, kind of, Jeff Loeb 
and Marvel TV have have both, you know, kind of ridden off into the sunset. Let's just look at the flip side for a moment in terms of that. And you're right there. There's no smoking gun in terms of what went on. This is not Amy Pascal with, you know, a super inappropriate email who somehow fails upward into still having a hand in the Sony Marvel Spider-Man movies. Uh, this is, he said, he said stuff with the writer's room by proxy. Um, you also have on Loeb's slate, you have a number of uh, Asian American actresses in very high profile roles on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on a show that has just concluded its run that we talk the most about on this podcast. So, I mean, you, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater and that all was done under his direction as well. Indeed, Pete, I think this is an opportunity to take a look back over the history of Marvel television, uh, particularly now that the uh, now that the mothership has ended, and indeed Marvel television as a as a property has aired its last episode. So, are you ready to hop into our own time machine and go back to 2010, Pete? Always. All right. So June 2010, Marvel Entertainment announces that there's going to be a Marvel TV uh, brand department, etc., with Jeff Loeb as the head. Uh, that October. He announces that Marvel TV is going to make Hulk, developed by Guillermo del Toro for ABC. Uh, and a couple months after that, he announces that Melissa Rosenberg is working on, a.k.a. Jessica Jones, also for ABC, uh, slotted for the fall of 2011. What was the status of those? I love those shows that we never saw. I mean, we eventually got Jessica Jones, thank God, Matt. Um Still waiting on that Hulk show, though. Yeah, I know it was mentioned at the first Comic-Con I went to. Was that 2010? 2011. 2011. So he had mentioned it then in a, in a room that was much smaller than, you know, than, than the largest stage that he would end up uh, doing multiple presentations at, both at the Javits and later at Madison Square Garden. Uh, you know, he had floated, you know, the big green guy and, and the whole nine yards. Um also, in that early stage, uh, before Marvel TV had gotten anything uh, on the screen, um, they were starting to work on Cloak and Dagger and Mockingbird for ABC Family. Uh, so I guess Cloak and Dagger for what ABC Family became, Freeform, that ultimately right. did pass, though it took a while. Also in October, they were working on Punisher for Fox. Uh, and Fox had a put pilot commitment, which essentially was, we will order this, and if not, we give you a bunch of money. Um that didn't exactly come to pass either. Well, I mean, we got it for uh, Netflix. You have to wonder, you know, too, how much change these things necessarily went through as opposed to what time that they found their, their spot. Well, I think that that's an interesting takeaway when you look at the timeline here. So they have pencil to paper summer 2010 they don't have a series ordered until S.H.I.E.L.D. gets ordered May 2013. So on the one hand, you might say, well, what were they doing for all this time? Part of development in, in the world of TV is, is getting rid of the bad ideas, too. And, you know, Jessica Jones, as that show would come to pass, was not a good fit for ABC. Hulk, I'm assuming, even separate from 
you know, Marvel Studios fighting with Marvel TV and all that, you know, it probably was going to be too expensive to do for broadcast TV. Punisher, not a good fit for broadcast TV, even Fox. Uh, so by the time you get to September 2013, there's there's the one show, Shield on the Air, uh, and they're starting to work on Agent Carter. Let's look too, Matt. I mean, the big moment was the Avengers in May of 2012. So all that stuff got speeded up through development because of the success there. 2010, I mean, you've had an Iron Man sequel at that point. Um, It hadn't really popped yet. And to think that there's an alternate universe out there where the Avengers is not the smashing success it was and this idea of Marvel TV uniting for 300 some odd episodes never happens. Well, and you get to during that first season of Agents of Shield, indeed even as, you know, that first episode had something like 25, 30 million uh viewers in the first week when you look at live and digital and all that. Uh so kind of well then the ratings kind of quickly were going down, but in that in that post Avengers glow, in that Marvel TV is on its way up kind of glow, even though the ratings were not necessarily going up, October, November 2013, that's when there's the the preparation for and then the announcement of uh the 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 much vaunted four drama series uh totaling in a you know or culminating in a mini series i'm talking daredevil jessica jones iron fist and luke cage then all meeting in defenders and that got that got bought by netflix so right there there's your huge jump forward in terms of you know marvel television goes from one series on the air to one in development to one on the air one in development for abc Four for Netflix plus a miniseries, which clearly is going to be as big as Avengers when Defenders finally comes out. <laughs> clearly. <laughs> I mean, we had such high hopes, Matt, and it is great that four TV shows fed into one eight-episode limited series, but to to put it in the terms that you just put there... It, it's not the Avengers of TV that we hoped for. It's still a feat. And looking back, just my back of the envelope math on all of Marvel TV, 382 episodes across 11 series. Um, yeah, this is quite a feat. Uh, it's not Star Trek 800 plus episodes it's not your your law and orders etc etc but again it's something you're going to look back at from 2013 to 2020 um and and all of that at the credit of jeff Loeb. so spring 2014 shield gets a second season agent carter is ordered straight to series agent carter airs january 2015 couple months after that so spring 2015 uh two more shows are in development for abc one is uh what would become to be known as marvel's most wanted with bobby morrison lance hunter uh and the other is is uh a mysterious show uh done by writer producer john ridley um 
we get shield and agent carter renewed for for the next season uh that that spring in 2015 as well most wanted is pulled to uh to a pilot order of course we know that ultimately didn't move on there um and it's it's around this time where i think maybe some of the cracks from marvel tv were starting to show it's so hard to really know matt nothing is available emerged of most wanted um is it a case where maybe they flew too close to the sun too soon not sure when you think about how agents of shield in the middle part of its run was season to season as far as renewal was concerned but still got you to seven seasons not not a cancellation but a culmination as opposed to all those other series that got canceled none of them going past three seasons and and what did you get there you got three out of daredevil you got three out of jessica jones you got three out of uh runaways that's it um so it's yeah i mean across the number of networks and then you've got the disney marvel thing in consideration it's still a success. I don't think you can look back at any of this and say it wasn't successful, but I think it's run its course and the power that Kevin Feige has amassed through this legendary run of films. um, No wonder they're handing him the keys to the TV side as well. And I think it's going to be fascinating to look back in a similar amount of time to see do they eclipse the amount of episodes i think there's no way they do um given that you're taking film techniques and you know tactics and applying them to a streamer um so all right let's say eight episodes out of each of falcon and the winter soldier wandavision and loki okay that's that's 24 agents of shield just about did that for five seasons you mentioned 5g there it's end of summer 2015 early fall 2015 when marvel studios leaves the rest of uh marvel entertainment on uh, you know Feige taking the studio with him to to do its own thing uh that fall as well ABC orders a pilot for the the comedy series Damage Control uh which obviously also went nowhere uh FX orders the pilot for Legion that did run two or three seasons to to not amazing viewership but that's kind of on par for FX but certainly acclaim um also that fall Fox uh broadcast started to develop hellfire club which a year later would no longer be in development as well um it's uh winter 2016 when marvel's most wanted ultimately you know the pilot gets made then they pass on it work starts on daredevil uh, pardon me on punisher that ultimately did come to pass uh spring 2016 is when cloak and dagger goes straight to series um ditto for runaways in the first half of 2016 um I feel like there's there's a through line with some of these, which is, you know, again, I see a lot of 
put pilots, which is we're going to give you money, says ABC, whether we go forward with this or not. Uh, leave it this way, Pete. I was never super excited about Damage Control, the half-hour live-action comedy series about the comics construction company. I was never interested about that, but somebody from ABC, a division of Disney, moved money from ABC, a division of Disney, to Marvel Television, a division of Disney. You know, there's, there's just, I'm not saying it's like accounting fraud or whatever, but you see a lot of that, you know, again... Uh, in in 2016, that's when the pilot for New Warriors, starring Squirrel Girl, is going to be, um, you, you know, is is developed. Uh, 2017, they get a straight to series order for New Warriors. They shoot a pilot. It's never been seen. There was the claim, oh well, we're going to find a new home, ladies and gentlemen. Whenever somebody says a show has been canceled, but we're searching to find a new home. Yes, there are exceptions <laughs> to this rule, but the rule means it is dead. Dead, dead, dead. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the the success that they had is illustrated through the number of deals that came to pass, but ultimately didn't reach the TV. Um, and, and thus is the case in TV development. You can read the trades all day about deals that are reached, okay? Set a timer from the time that you read that, though, uh, until you do see something as opposed to it never produces anything. Uh, May 2017 is when uh, The Gifted is uh, brought to series by Fox. So that's courtesy of Marvel Television, although I think it's, largely taking place in kind of the Fox X-Men universe. Uh, Pete, The Gifted ran two seasons and 29 episodes. I must confess, if you put an episode of The Gifted on, uh, I might say, hey, that's the guy from True Blood. I wouldn't know it as The Gifted, so I'm not right. trying to be disrespectful towards yeah. it. I don't think it had a huge impact, but it went 29 episodes, which is, uh, Pete, more than the other new Marvel show from that TV season year, which was Inhumans, so... You know, good job there. You went two seasons, 29 episodes, not too bad for The Gifted. Yeah, and, you know, between that and Legion, uh, Fantastic Geek made a strategic decision because they were MCU adjacent and not connected to the MCU. We chose not to podcast them. I know we've had people ask, you know, our opinion and would you ever go back and do it, et cetera, et cetera. It's certainly something to consider, but we've never wanted for uh, content and uh, the, the time just isn't there and hasn't been right to this point. As we get to the home stretch here of the, the life and times of Marvel television. So let's see, 2018 is when you have Inhumans canceled after one season. Later in 2018, uh, Alan Heinberg is developing a Marvel series for ABC about female superheroes. Here we are two years later, Pete. Never heard from again, at least to my knowledge. Uh, that's the same year Iron Fist and Luke Cage get canceled. And it's kind of like, oh, well, well, Iron Fist makes sense. Oh, oh, well, I guess, you know, Luke Cage, I mean, definitely a great show. Had a lot to say. Fantastic perspective from showrunner Chihodari Coker. But, okay, th there's some ancillary data that maybe it wasn't as popular. It was no Daredevil. Boom, a month later, Daredevil gets canceled. And that's when we said, oh, wait. This is now all starting to come. All of Marvel Netflix is going to disappear. Um, 
and then 2019 legion ends after its three seasons uh and then you know daredevil punisher agents of shield the whole nine yards and you know uh then i guess uh, perhaps pete the the post-mortem october 2019 so what 10 months ago that's when marvel tv uh and marvel family entertainment that's your animation division uh both of which were basically marvel tv all of that was being given uh to marvel studios and some staff brought over including Loeb, who i really genuinely think was probably given an office and a desk and a computer and told hey we'll be in touch when we want you to do something (laughs) um and they also announced you know they're going to wrap up the existing slate but no new series are going to be considered for marvel television as a as a uh you know as an institution and we saw the last episode of marvel television last week with the agents of shield series finale so i mean the thesis which matt likes to use the end for now yeah which is you know which is a jeff Loeb quote um and i perhaps sometimes was overused by marvel television i mean all all of all these comic book type shows certainly all the marvel movies where why do you wait until after the movie is over why do you wait you know once the credits have started because it's the end for now something is going to come along to tell you what comes next but you know will we one day return to these characters from shield i mean maybe down the line i'm certainly on the record as saying my completely informal take is office politics alone will make kevin feige and marvel studios say what a quake spinoff you know jeff Loeb had helped create that character for tv or at least the tv version of the character i know quake has been around blah 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 but you know no way no how it's it's those bad guys not we marvel studios with all this box office money and oscar nominations and all this acclaim and the 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 backbone of the marvel tab on uh on disney plus at least moving forward you know i have a tough time seeing it but the end for now anyhow pete enough for me enough from you what are some of the listeners saying we have a comment from steve adams sent to the fantastic geek facebook page looking back at season seven i was definitely more than satisfied which i could not say about season six i thought the finale was great better than the season five finale this was the finale we needed everyone ended up with a relatively happy ending I appreciated the way they tied the season six finale up and closed that little loophole. I was a little confused by the fact that it seemed we had three different Fitzes and Simmons, but time travel. I personally believe the team ended back in the original MCU timeline, bringing it all back together as well as they could, considering how they got jobbed by Marvel Studios regarding Infinity War and Endgame. A lovely finale and a truly great way to end this incredibly underrated show. I will miss Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Indeed, I I think we will all miss it. Were there warts sometimes, but, you know, we'll love it warts and all. Pete, I think it's worth mentioning there were some eagle-eyed viewers who noticed in that final shot of of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. where, you know, Lola 2.0 takes off and swoops away, 
off in the distance, you can see the Triskelion. So does that mean, regardless of where Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. came from in terms of, you know, true MCU or whatever, and then all the corporate stuff and all the, you know, as, as Steve says, the, the, the jobbing that, that uh, Marvel Studios did to Marvel TV, seeing Triskelion there off in the distance, does it mean that our Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. end up in, a, in an alternate universe, one that's alternate to the MCU? Uh, what say you, Pete? I mean, based on something we both missed when we watched it, I'd have to say that it's more of an Easter egg than anything else. Did it put them in another timeline? Does it even matter? Um, okay, they rebuilt it. Could it have been rebuilt in the MCU timeline where it's all connected? It could have. It's just a building in the background, though. They didn't go there. It wasn't a central location uh, for the narrative at this time. Yeah, I think it's more of a, of a wink. Easter egg, mistake, big revelation. It certainly is this. It's the end for now. Pete, this entire Season 7 run, of course, we've had the support of those who visit patreon.com slash fantasticgeek. It's not our end our voyage continues. So what can people do to help support the podcast? Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content. Can't make a contribution this month. Get yourself over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Stars there. Take a couple seconds. A review a little longer. All are appreciated. Pete, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. conversation can still continue. Next weekend, we will be doing one more S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast to look back at the series as a whole, talking highlights, lowlights, the things that we loved best from these seven seasons of S.H.I.E.L.D. So we would love to hear uh, from people, have them talk a bit more about what made S.H.I.E.L.D. so special. So how can people be in touch with you? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R, J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R. 11,440 followers can't be wrong and while i'm personally on twitter's looking back lost do be in touch with the podcast comment on fantasticgeek.com check us out on twitter instagram gmail where we are fantastic geek as well but wait there's more facebook.com slash fantastic geek with the ph all one word like it today well pete as mentioned we will be talking shield one more time next weekend for those listening on the pop culture podcast feed we're going to be talking lower decks uh shortly as well so with that pete i will say adios to season seven and give you the final word bye bye